0: The Covenant podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. You can learn more about them and their recent accreditation with at cbtseminary.org, cbtseminary.org. This episode, we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Tom Johnston, who is our special guest. Dr. Tom Johnston serves as the professor or as a professor of evangelism and as the director of Midwestern evangelistic teams. He was born in Paris, France to missionary parents. He is married to Rochelle and they have three children and four grandchildren. He has more grandchildren because his bio has been updated, so he has six grandchildren six grandchildren that he is proud of. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Johnston.
1: Thank you, Jimmy. It's a great privilege to be here and appreciate you and your warm welcome.
0: Yes. Yeah, so today we will be talking about evangelism. So Dr. Johnston, to start us off, how would you define evangelism?
1: Evangelism is is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the purpose of bringing men to Christ that they might repent and believe the good news.
0: mm mm-hmm. And and where would we find this in Scripture? At
1: <clears throat> the amazing thing about the, the the concept of evangelism is that the verb in the Greek, the verb evangelizō, is found fifty five times hmm. in the Greek New Testament. So there is a there is a, a body of of context in which we can understand the what the verb means. And the best place I like to look to define evangelism as 1 Corinthians. I start with 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll and I'll explain to you why. There's five uses of the verb oingedizo in Corinthians. There's 55 in the New Testament, like I mentioned before. Uh, 25 of those are off the pen of Luke. 10 in Luke, 15 in Acts, and then 22 or 23 are off the pen of Paul, depending if you... Ascribe Hebrews to Paul or not? There's two uses in Hebrews. So, um, <clears throat> looking at First Corinthians 15, 1, we see that evangelism is distinguished from preaching, which is a general category. Evangelism is a distinct category that preaching of the gospel that leads to the first uh, to the first knowledge of, of of Christ by which repentance and faith come out. So, it's a it's a it's a distinct subcategory of preaching. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Right before it talks about the gospel, which we all know, verse 3 and 4, very important verses on Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. Well, right before then, we have verbs related to the reception of the gospel that explains how this gospel is received and adhered to and held, uh, held fast to. Moreover, brethren, it says, I declare to you the gospel by which I evangelized you, in which you which you receive, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word by which I evangelized you, unless you believed in vain. So clearly, in that context, the word evangelize is is distinctly the first preaching by which salvation comes to the heart. So the Holy Spirit works in with and by the Word of God to break the heart, to show them this, to show us our sin, and that we repent and believe. So it's a it's a distinct subcategory of preaching. And in that case, from that verse right there, which is two uses, if you go then to verse chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, we find something else, which is very interesting about the verb evangelize. Uh, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made uh, to no effect. So we have Paul raising... Evangelize, evangelizing above the ordinance of baptism, as a priority in his in his preaching in his ministry, very fascinating. Um, so we have evangelizing raised to a very high high status. That was why he was sent. And <clears throat> in church uh, yesterday, last night, I spoke on First I mean, uh, Luke four, where Jesus says, "I must evangelize other cities. To other cities also." That's in Luke 4, 43. For this purpose I was sent. And the word must is in the Greek, as you know, is de, die, de I, I must evangelize. Jesus is the only one that says that I, in, in the whole uh, New Testament. So <clears throat> very, very powerful words. Then, la- lastly, in 1 Corinthians uh, nine sixteen, we read an, one more use that, that, that kind of uh, uh, sets evangelizing apart from uh, the other, the more general, generic preaching. Which is, by the way, why I think it's good to, to distinguish between the two. I think uh, Dr. Frederick in Kittles' word, word Book of the New Testament says, we have a poverty of language when it comes to preaching, because Luther emphasized preaching so much that he took so many Greek words and he gave it the concept of preaching, Whereas it's literally fifteen, twenty, thirty words that are given that idea, so we have a poverty of language where we couldn't use evangelize, and it would be it would have a distinct context for us to understand what it means mm-hmm. in our English. But we don't do that, and and um, I'm not talking about translations here. But listen to First Corinthians nine sixteen. If we put it in the first person, which is what it's in, we own it. Here's what it says: For if I evangelize. I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I evangelize not. Now, I've had deacons tell me, I'm not called to, Pastor, you're called to preach, but I'm not called to preach. We have women and ladies, we know they're not called to preach, but are they called to evangelize? Yes, they are. So the 55 uses of evangelize in the text are hidden to them, and the Holy Spirit. Cannot work in the same way. Yes, he can work, and he does work by his grace, even through whatever translations there are. But the Holy Spirit is restricted from working in the same way as if the word evangelize was clearly set forth in my estimation for for men who are not called to preach, and for ladies who who uh, don't ha- don't don't have the office of preaching. And yet the the word is for and as I see in the question here, the word is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all called to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, we all have that mandate placed on us.
0: Mm. Which is the next question, who's called to it? And your, your answer is everyone. Yes. So, And there's a question later on I'll, I'll ask that, that has to do with equipping our people to do it as pastors yes, and things yes. like that. But for now, we'll, we'll go, and go on to the next one. What are various ways that evangelism can be carried out? <clears throat> and the, the
1: the beauty of evangelism is that God uh, uh, so gifts His people that evangelism c- comes out in a multitude, multitudinous hue of of, of 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 beauty, beautiful variants, depending on the person through whom the Holy Spirit's working. So when I see uh, and when I see behind you costumes that are used for for um, theatrical productions in this church. I think, you know, God has gifted maybe women or maybe men in the church to write plays, and children are involved in plays, or maybe youth, or maybe even adults. And through that activity, they they shine Jesus to people. Lost people who come, we know there's vacation Bible schools, and there's all kinds of ways through which God calls his people. There's street preachers. I do a lot of door-to-door evangelism, um, try to share the gospel with neighbors and friends and associates. There's many, many, many ways of sharing the gospel. And <clears throat> as long as it's sharing the gospel, praise God, that's, there's all kinds of ways that God can use. And I think he wants to use all of us. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that the gift of the Spirit is given to everyone. Uh, who comes to Christ. Everyone who is born again has all the Holy Spirit he'll ever have because the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts of sin, he converts us. We don't convert ourselves, he converts us. And when he does, he also empowers us with spiritual gifts, one or more spiritual gifts. And those gifts all glorify Jesus. It says in in, in John 16, it says, he will glorify me. Um, because uh, And so... The, the whole, all the gifts of the Spirit are meant to glorify Jesus, which is what our life is all about, Jesus, and putting Him and heralding Him, sending Him forth.
0: Mm. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, there is no one right way to evangelize, so long as it is Christ that is being <coughs> proclaimed, that is evangelism.
1: Yes! There it is. Once Christ is proclaimed, that's evangelism, because that's what the definition is. Good news, sharing the good news. It's it's making good news, which is evangelion, the gospel, into a verb. It's
0: mm-hmm.
1: putting feet on the good news. That's why it says in Second Corinthians 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> very interesting uh, verses that we that that is very fun, um, talking about the word of God here, where it says, um, Second Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified as it is with you. It's almost like we're putting feet on the word. We're putting feet on the gospel when we herald the gospel. Mm. We're just we're just living living it out and we're telling other people about it. It's a beautiful thing. So the gospel activity activity is evangelism.
0: Mm. The next question has to do with theology, which which we we at this podcast believe is important, as well as evangelism. So, in your opinion, or or what you believe the Bible to teach, yes. what is the relationship between theology and evangelism, particularly soteriology and and the doctrines of grace? Because there's been stigmas in the past, even by folks in the Southern Baptist denomination, that essentially teach that. Calvinists don't evangelize or those that affirm the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation that they don't evangelize or don't have reason to so what what are kind of your your thoughts on this?
1: Well, thank you. That's a really good question. There's a lot of angles and and a lot of depth to it. I'm going to begin with the beginning of the question and I'll go to the end of it. The beginning of the question is, what is the interrelation between theology and evangelism? In my estimation, theological drift into liberalism happens in the practical field we begin to practice <clears throat> um um a non-biblical practice and then we, uh, we and then we change our theology to ad, uh, to approve uh, our practice so when it comes to theology and evangelism there are as many hues of theology as there are hues of evangelism every theological position from uh, everywhere from the sub- penal substitutionary to the moral influence theory and Christus victor everything in between um, each view of evangel—pardon uh, me—each theological view or view of the atonement has its own approach to mission and evangelism. So that's why mm-hmm. there's there's tons of views of evangelism out there because there's tons of views of the atonement, and they all have inter interlinking and interrelating part uh, parts if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> so we're talking about not only are we talking about a, 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 a huge variety of theological opinions and views of the, of the Great Commission and of, the, of, of evangelism, but we're also talking about a constant movement within those. So you can't peg one person and say, he always believed this, and he always believed this, he always believed this. That's not the case. There's change and nuance and, mm-hmm. and constant drift going on one way or another toward the Bible or away from the Bible. When it comes to the doctrines of grace, particularly total depravity, <clears throat> there cannot be salvation. It's not possible outside of, believing that we are utterly depraved sinners. we There is no good within us at all. And we must repent and believe. So uh, without true repentance, there is no salvation. It is not possible. The repentance is the door of salvation, period. There is no other door. And that's why when 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 Luke says in, in Luke 24's Great Commission that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, beginning from Jerusalem, he loads into the word repentance... The message of salvation, the response to the message of salvation, the emphasis of the message of salvation, and and all of it is is bound in that one word, repent. And so, if I understand the doctrines of grace correctly, Jesus did it all. And we did nothing. All we do is see our total and utter depravity. The Holy Spirit shows us that, and then we repent and believe and then he gives us he does everything for us so it's intimately intimately intertwined it's not that man is basically good or man can save himself or man has any propensity to salvation or any even inkling of salvation within himself not at all Hmm. and when it says in in ecclesiastes 3 he is he has said eternity in their hearts which is often a a, a verse that could be used for those on the other side, if I might say that, <clears throat> who, would, who would say that there's, there's some spark of truth um, in man, or, he, or in Romans 2 where it says his conscience, uh, even though those who, who do not have the law um, have, have, the, have a knowledge of the law uh, through their conscience, That's, that's all, all that is is the fingerprint of God on the soul of man. It doesn't mean that man can save himself. We mm-hmm. actually work together with God in evangelism, who is already declared in nature, and heaven's declare the glory of God, but also he's even declared within the heart of man. <clears throat> and so we cooperate with him, but that doesn't, that doesn't lend to man any part in his salvation. Salvation is totally and only from God. Scriptures alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and... Am I missing one of the alone
0: to God's glory <laughs> to alone? To
1: God's glory alone, and everybody said, "Amen."
0: Amen to that. Amen to that. And yeah, I mean, in regard to the Romans two passage, you can't read Romans two without Romans one. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Yes. It's not that we are ignorant of who God is or God's law. It's that we we hate Him yes, by nature. Yes, yes. Um, the the next question is, and and I thank you for that answer. I think I think that was very appropriate. Is I I read one of your articles that talked briefly about apologetics and evangelism. So, what is the relationship, by your estimation, of or between apologetics, the the practice of defending the gospel, um, and evangelism?
1: <clears throat> thank you. That's a very good question, Jimmy. The uh... Um, in my estimation, uh, there's a, has to be a distinction made between the use of the v- the word apologé, uh, uh, the verb apologéo mai, and the word and the word apología in the New Testament, and what is considered apologetics in today's parlance. Now, there's two there's two approaches even to the concept of apologetics. One is is trying to give a defense to lead people to Christ. <clears throat> another one another one is just trying to um, uh, philosophically, show that the faith is the faith in Christ is superior to all of the uh, all of the spiritual religious systems in the world. So there's there's all these different approaches to apologetics from a biblical standpoint. I wrote a paper on this just because I was trying to grab hold of it. I actually wrote, um, and I was as I was doing a study, I found that the word the verb apologeomai is found. Uh, kind of concentrated in Acts uh, 26 where Paul is making a defense before Agrippa and it's it's found three times in that context uh, specifically on how Paul gives his address before King Agrippa and Festus and all the prominent men of the city who are gathered in the auditorium there to hear him speak I think they were trying to make a mockery of him actually uh, and he in in that context had the yeah, privilege and opportunity of of sharing the gospel so we find what is there any is there anything about apologetics in what paul spoke in acts twenty six and the answer is really not uh, as what we consider apologetics in a contemporary time it 's really sharing the faith <clears throat> so then what was the role of apologetics from The study of the verb in the New Testament, apologetics in my estimation, is a subset of discipleship. Teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. And it's really uh, very important for those who are new in the faith to be established in the word. This would be what Jude was trying to do in Jude 3, when he Mm. says, uh, I'm I'm writing to you... uh, to, in a defense of the faith, and and so it's it's apologetics rather than being toward non-Christians, which is evangelism is for. Apologetics is really, in my estimation, more for Christians to help ground them in in the faith. And the two verbs in Acts used for for uh, for a follow-up ministry is histemi, which is which is giving a. A grounding and in parakaleo, which is to exhort and mm-hmm. encourage. And so, as we're doing that, after a person has been repented and believed and they've been saved, then they need to be taught to observe all things that I command you. Then they need to be grounded in the faith. Is, it <clears throat> is anybody brought to the faith intellectually without repentance for the forgiveness of sins? No. If if the intel if the if the mind of the intellect is used not to show man, man that that faith is more reasonable, but to show him that his sin is unreasonable and that and that he has sinned against the holy God and that he must repent and believe the good news. Remember, the 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 door to our faith is always repentance, always. It is never the rational mind and, and coming to understand that our faith is more reasonable than Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism, uh, uh, so forth, Zoroastrianism, whatever. No. Um, the the doorway is always repentance for mm-hmm. the forgiveness of sins. If we forget that, I think we do a disservice to the cross because Jesus died for our sins, and the sins of the mind and the sins of the body, the, the sins of the eyes and, and the body. So we have to be, I think, I think apologetics... Possibly, in my estimation, has been used as a crowbar to move the evangelical church away from the verbal proclamation of the of the death and resurrection of Jesus, mm. the death of Jesus for our sins, and move this into some kind of this spun us into this rational mind game where we're we're beginning to think about panantheism and pantheism and and theism and and where we we drop all our boundaries. Uh, healthy boundaries of denominational understanding of of soteriology and ecclesiology mm-hmm. for uh, this broader purpose of moving into some theistic um, view of of things is mm. in my estimation, <clears throat> apologetics has sometimes been used for unfortunate purposes and, mm. and in an unfortunate way. I'm not going to go more into it than that, but. But, but may that be enough to, to give, to wet the whistle of, of possible hmm. uh, research topics.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, some approaches to apologetics in particular, and what you seem to be talking about, it seems as if we are allowing the the unbelief to, to dictate how we approach um, presenting the gospel to them, yes. and, and God's the one being put on trial when really it, it's the purpose of the Christian to to make this unbeliever or or to bring to the unbeliever's mind that they are the ones who are on trial. Yes. And not God is not scrutable or, yes, or yes. able to be judged. Yes, so God is not on trial. And the other thing is,
1: is that <clears throat> the... The mind of man, the mental capacities of man, in my estimation, of lost man, are totally depraved. Um, I believe in total depravity. I don't believe that ma- that man's mental capacity is is uh, is uh, free from sin. <clears throat> That's why I'm glad that Ephesians two three says the sins of the mind, mm-hmm. uh, and so it clear- clearly uh, expresses that that there are that that when depravity came if we if we separate man as body, mind, soul, and spirit, mind was not mind has also been impacted by sin, and Satan seems to use a mind just like he went after the mind of Eve he attacks the mind in a foremost way, and it's it's very arrogant and prideful of man to think that that somehow the rational uh the rational thoughts of man are somehow immune from mm-hmm. uh depravity and because that's that's actually the first place yeah.
0: i mean sin has yes. polluted us an entire Correct. aspect of Correct. of who we are um here's another uh, a more practical and less philosophical well i guess it's philosophical too but a little bit more practical on the side is <clears throat> how should success be measured in the work of evangelism and, and in our consumeristic culture and stuff like that, um, we're always looking for how to measure success, and, and generally it's it's in, in quantity, um, and, and, and we try to quantify what success is. So how should we, in local churches, pastors, members of local churches, those who go out and do the work of evangelism, what should our measure of success be, or is that even the right way to, to think about it?
1: Excellent question. Thank you, Jimmy. <clears throat> um, our, I, In my estimation, our, the, the, our success is measured by faithfulness and obedience and integrity, and and it's not measured by uh, numbers or or those kind of uh, human measurements. Now, Jesus does say that the seed sown in the good soil there's 30, 60, and 100-fold, and, and he says a couple different ways in matthew mark Luke. So there so he has a measurement um and it looks like he measures a lifetime of activity and reproduction 30, 60, and hundred fold and um and we do have numbers of of those that are baptized and those that uh, that are that join the church in acts we have three thousand in acts two in acts five I, th- I think it is we have five thousand we do have numbers so that that there is there is some uh some um, numerical um, uh, concepts that are given to us, quantification that happens in the Book of Acts. <clears throat> and nevertheless, in in Acts sixteen, where where we have Paul um, going to Philippi and being called uh, by the Macedonian call to to go up to Macedonia and help them, help us. We have here a, a signal of obedience. We have we have. Jesus closing the door, the Holy Spirit closing the door to Asia, closing closing the door to Bithynia, closing this door, closing that door, and opening doors, and and in that in that in that way, He guides us not by numbers or by or by, but He guides us by His Holy Spirit, in in an amazing way. I'm thinking of of Philip, the the great evangelist, who left a thriving. Citywide revival in Samaria, and went to the desert road to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch, and and I think we have to we have to understand that we shouldn't be driven by numbers. In my early ministry, I felt I was a terrible pastor because my church didn't go from sixty to six hundred to six thousand in six years, <laughs> and I saw that I had I had fallen into this I think idea of quantifying. A successful ministry and i was depressed because my church stayed at 120 for three years my rural church in manitoba and first of all it wasn't my church it's christ church so mm-hmm. so we we have we have we have to fight against these fleshly tendencies to desire to please man and to be seen well of man and rather we have one audience and that's god and we have one response, and that's, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into my rest, so good and faithful mm-hmm. he wants faithfulness, whatever that means, if I go to outer Siberia and share the gospel and I'm faithful there as as as, as effective as being in New York City in a city uh, in a in a church of ten thousand people, faithfulness is what he calls us for. Mm.
0: And and I think that's an encouragement, especially to the. I think it's an encouragement to pastors anywhere, or, or or those doing ministry, and the fact that being faithful is what God good and faithful is what God has called us to. When I've talked about evangelism or missions, mainly with laity, but even even some ministerial students when I was in Bible college, they'll they'll sometimes say things like, "They aren't called to evangelism." They aren't gifted for it. They just aren't good at talking, or they aren't knowledgeable enough. Um, what would you say to that person? What, and and not just in way of um, correcting them, because we we believe everyone's called to evangelism, but also encouraging and admonishing them to to go and and and, and evangelize to folks well, I,
1: as, as a as a pastor, or uh, just in order to encourage yourself and your people. Um, First of all, you need to be you need to be involved in it yourself. I think I think one of the worst things we can do as pastors is to to flay people or to or to uh, castigate them for things we don't do, hmm. and that, that's called hypocrisy right there. And we need to avoid that like the plague. And so we have to um, uh, first of all seek to be obedient ourselves. Secondly, is I, I use I use a. Uh, uh, John 4.35, as kind of a, a guideline for myself as to how I ought to be involved in evangelism. It's very easy as a pastor to become introverted in a church and think of the issues of the church. The Bible does say, do good to all men, especially those in the household of the faith. So what happens is when people come to the faith, they're part of the elect, as it were, they get the priority. And that is a rightful priority that they should have. Um, so then in um, in, uh, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 35, we have, it says here, and these are the guidelines that I use for my, um, my caring for those outside the church. And I'll share a passage in Acts 18 in the second year. Do you not say there yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I said, you lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are already white for harvest. We need, as pastors and church leaders, to lift up our eyes. We need to see beyond the, hu- the human earthly things, and we need to see the fields, for they are ripe. And you might say, well, they're, no, they're not really ripe. Well, then you're going against Jesus. They are ripe. <clears throat> that doesn't mean they're easy fields to work in, but they're ripe fields. And we have to be out there. Lift up your eyes and look. And the main problem is the problem of vision. There's actually a bunch of words here behold lift up your eyes and look three three visual verbs that are that are grouped together by Jesus here that the main problem that we have is a problem of lack of vision lack of of seeing lack of understanding the need <clears throat> and so we have to work at that ourselves so we can communicate that to our people and uh, in in acts chapter 18 verse 4 verse 9 and 10 we have some of my favorite verses for, uh, for um, encouragement to pastors and to lay people to work hard. Now, look at verse 8 in Acts 18. It says, Then Crispus, ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, and here's the here's this biblical order always hearing, believed, were baptized. So, first they have to hear the gospel. Then they believe and then they're baptized after believing. Um, then the Lord spoke to Paul at night by vision. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will harm hurt you, uh, will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Paul was was encouraged to stay in Corinth and not to go off to the next town, because Jesus, God here, the Lord had many people. That he wanted to save in that city. And, <clears throat> and so he stayed there, it says a year and six months, which was longer than he normally stayed in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a city, because God was about to use the mouth of Paul. And we have, we have, a, we have the, the two sided command speak, do not keep silent. So he had to verbally proclaim the gospel, so that Jesus Himself, so God could save souls, because God had many people in that city. It's a very interesting interchange of of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, b- combined mm-hmm. together, to to lead to the church
0: planting, yeah. church growth, in that
1: context. It's a beautiful thing. Mm.
0: Um, again, Doctor Johnston. Um. Yes, pastors need to to be those that evangelize themselves and not only be those that exclusively <laughs> tell their people to do it and and not do it themselves and and you've encouraged us in that. But as for the pastor, say he does do those things. Say he is out evangelizing, he is out witnessing and he's trying to to mobilize his people and and what he's running into is these answers, they say they aren't called to it, they aren't gifted for it, what types of tips or encouragements would you tell the pastor to give them, and what types of encouragements would you give the pastor himself in settings like that?
1: First of all, um, I would say that 99% of the pastors are in that, in, in that uh, <clears throat> have people in their churches and congregations that feel that way, uh, that is almost everybody. And <clears throat> so it's, 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 a, it's a very common... Um, um, difficulty or thing to deal with. First of all, is as a pastor, we need to be modeling, and as we model evangelism, as we're incur- and, uh, as we do it, that'll come out in the illustrations we use in our in our sermons, and people will know it because they they hear about people coming to Christ or hearing the gospel in their community, and and it'll, it'll be part of the, it becomes part of the ethos of the church. Secondly. For those who are having trouble in in evangelism, I think the first thing we need to do is pray. Uh, I think we need to pray for lost people. I think we need to pray for ourselves to have boldness, to have wisdom, to have knowledge of insight. And God answers prayer. So the the prayer we pray is, oh God, give me someone today that I can talk to, share the gospel with. I remember I met with a guy named Dave Plape. He was a fullback at Wheaton College. I was in college at the time, and we were encouraged by a leader named Steve Ross, who passed away now, uh, a a discipleship leader, to pray for one opportunity a week, the gospel. And I remember I prayed, Dave and I prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity. And lo and behold, God gave opportunities. What do I mean by giving an opportunity? God would, it's like his Holy Spirit would knock on our shoulder and say, here's your opportunity take it then it's up to us whether we take it or not and in many cases i didn't take the opportunity he gave me some cases i did i remember distinctly because i had prayed and asked for opportunities the holy spirit literally told me of the opportunities it's like what's up with that it, it's, it, was, it was amazing. And then <clears throat> that's how I began, actually, to share the gospel on a regular basis because of that encouragement in that, in that small group, discipleship group, to ask for one opportunity a week. I assure you, you ask the Holy Spirit, you ask God to do something for you that He wants you to do, and He will help you do it. He, he will, because He is a sovereign God. So I think we need to ask... And then we need to look for the opportunities and when we get them, we need to be obedient. Now remember Peter got that is the apostle Peter got scared with a little slave girl. You're one of them too, aren't you? And it says expletive, expletive, I don't know who what you're talking about. So Peter didn't take the opportunity before the cross when Jesus was going was in, in his trial time so <clears throat> taking a. Uh, guidance from that in Scripture. I ask for forgiveness if I miss an opportunity, and I I feel that the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart. I say, Oh God, look what I've done. I miss an opportunity, and please forgive me. Help someone be faithful and share the gospel with that person next time. Help me next time, Lord. Hmm. Whenever you speak to me, to be uh, to be obedient. Oh God, please forgive me. Thank you for your grace, loving your mercy. You are gracious to Peter. You forgive him. You forgive me too. And then just move on and ask for the ne- and look for the next opportunity, because he'll give them. The biggest problem I, I found in my life was uh, there was opportunities all around me, and I didn't know about it. When I had my first evangelism class with a Campus Crusade uh, a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, um, we were forced <laughs> to share the gospel once a <laughs> week for ten weeks, and I thought. How do I know the Holy Spirit is going to give me not 10 opportunities one week and then no opportunities for nine weeks? And I was, I was bristling against this requirement. <laughs> one a week for 10 weeks. And if we didn't turn in an assignment, it was a zero. And the, it was 50% of our grade was contact reports. And I think the first week I got a zero and I thought, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> I've got to wake up and do something here. So I began going out with the evangelism team, which is how I got involved in the Wheaton Evangelistic team way, way, way back then. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But what I found, because of that requirement, is that not only was there once-a-week opportunities, there was multiple times a day that I had opportunities to share the gospel. But I didn't see them. I didn't have the vision of, that, of the John four thirty five. I had never lifted up my eyes and seen and beheld. I didn't know. I'm at a grocery store and line at a grocery store, and I'm, or I'm, I'm at the gas station, or I'm here or there or talking to a neighbor. All kinds of opportunities all around me, but I, I never saw them as opportunities. So that that th- th- this is this is a whole. It has to be a total mindset shift, and God is good at helping us shift our mindset. That's why we're born again. We have a new creature. We're new in Christ. So he'll, he'll, I, think, I think he'll do that. I, I hope I've kind of answered that mm-hmm. question, Jimmy. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a good question. Um, here's a more personal question for you. Who, who are some people, present or past, who have influenced your theology and, and your practice of evangelism? And then the second part, is there any historical Baptist or anything like that, like, like Fuller or Carey, that you've read that have, that have kind of sparked some influence?
1: Um, thank you. That's a very good question. Um, I had the privilege and honor of growing up in a Christian home, where my father was a, uh, a actually the president of a seminary, in Tyndale Theological Seminary, and he was a professor of evangelism at Trinity for 20 years, a missionary in France. So <clears throat> I grew up in a very unusual context. Let me give you. Let me kind of try to share how how what I mean by that. I was in Wheaton in a historical theology class, and we had earned learned eight views of the holy spirit or the trinity and none of them sounded right to me so i remember calling home at night this was 1981 i called home i said dad i said we've heard eight views of the trinity and none of them sound right what do you think he says tommy read john 14 and john 16 and you will see tertullian tertullian and hippolytus's economic trinity explained there now, that was literally what my dad told me. I was maybe twenty at the at the time, twenty years old. Not many people have fathers who will be able to say that to their to their children who are struggling through. What I would say, the professor that I had at the time was a uh, um, a touch and go moderate professor. Actually, he was neo orthodox, and uh, <clears throat> not a great class, but a good class in many ways. So I read John fourteen and sixteen, and I saw the economic trinity of Tertullian and Hippolytus, and it it caused my anxious mind to calm down. So, if the greatest personal, uh, um, the greatest person that had an impact in my life is literally my father, Hmm. Arthur Paul Johnston. He died in two thousand nine. He's no longer with us. So I'm I'm tremendously thankful for him. In fact, my class notes began because he had me teach his class when he couldn't teach one time. It was on on uh, uh, a missions class, Theology of Missions and Evangelism. So I I am totally even indebted. All my, my 1,300, 1,400 pages of notes on evangelism are, many of them are just started from where he had, you know, three or four pages for his class in Theology of Missions and Evangelism. And so I just kind of, it grew from that. So I, 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 Totally grateful uh, for my father. In terms of Baptist um, theologians, I remember reading William Carey's um, book on, uh,
0: what is it? uh, The Inquiry. Inquiry? um,
1: No, pardon me, it was Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, okay. okay, Sorry. Oh, that's fine. I read Hudson Taylor's Call to Missions. When I, w- I had been involved in evangelism, I had missions in the spring of uh, the next year. And basically what it said was, you mean Jesus died on a, at least what I took from me, you mean Jesus died on a cross for your sins and you're not willing to go to China to be a missionary for him? <laughs> 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 Whoa. Yeah. And, and the Holy Spirit laid on my heart at that time reading this old writing from, you know, the 1800s, 1890s. Your albums, your music. And I threw out all my music, my ungodly music. And unfortunately, I had spent money on it. And I threw it in a garbage can. And I asked God to cleanse my mind so that my mind could be given over to His Word and thoughts about Him and not thoughts about what the rolling stones say or what the Leonard skinner says or what um, you know pink floyd says uh, all the, all the things that were running through my mind that were not not at all for him i said i don't even want to know their names i just named some names. i don't even want to know their names i want jesus i want his word i want his i want the w- scripture to be in my mind not that junk so these th- these are things that were formative for me totally transformed me. And it was after that that housewarming for the word of God that I began involved in evangelism. It was really I needed I had that I had that stronghold of Satan in my mind that was holding me back. And it might be different things for different people. I'm sure it is because he is God deals with us differently in different ways. But it was after that time that I began to be Involved in street evangelism downtown Chicago, at the Water Tower Place, later at Russian Oak, pre- preaching on the street, handing out tracts, telling people about Jesus, leading people to Christ, seeing tears come down their face, here having been sworn at and, and mocked, all all of it for the for the glory of God and just um, amazing uh, what what the Holy Spirit did uh, mm-hmm. did in my life at the time, but I had to. I had to shed some things in my life, and that's what Hudson Taylor taught me. And I know it's not—he's not in this case. That's fine. He's not—he's not a Baptist theologian. And in my the influence of my father, I'll just have to say is is, is just overwhelming, and I'm grateful for it because I, because um, I, I've, he he taught me to test everything by scriptures, and the script and that's what I've tried to do. And I know that I'm a fallible human being, and it. God is an infinite God who's actually revealed himself through words on a page. In fact, the words are alive. The words are equally or more alive than we are, mm. in my estimation. Words on a page, how can that be? It's impossible. No, it's not. It's possible with God. It, mm. He makes his words alive. So they're living and active in the world today. I think I think that's what that's the, the mm. only spiritual activity in the world today is God working in with him by his word through the holy spirit that's what that's what's alive in the world today
0: yeah and i mean let that be a note to those that are fathers i mean mm-hmm. with with the fact that your your dad is such a great influence it's like mm-hmm. those who listen to this podcast who are dads and even moms can can theologically influence their children of course absolutely, too absolutely. so i mean just the the importance of being that gospel and and doctrinal in the case of your father influence in your child's life, like Mm -hmm. being someone that they can come and bring their questions to. Of course, not everyone has a professor, a theological professor as a father, but still faithful Christians with the word, faithful dads, faithful moms with the word can be that, that, that power behind their children as, as they walk through life. So let that be a note for, for those dads and moms who, who listen. Um, so first of all, where where can people find some resources that you have produced? And then secondly, what are some other resources that you would recommend outside of your your own? Um, thank you. That's a really good question. Um,
1: first of all, my resources are e- at evangelizology.org. <clears throat> There's actually four different web, web names that go to the same place. It might be easier because of the co- complexity of the word evangelizology, which is basically just evangelize, and then you think of biology, you just take, take out the BI and you put ology at the end of it. org. I have all my materials for free up there. As mm-hmm. much as I can put up there, I put it for free. <clears throat> and um, freely you've given, freely you've received, freely give. That's my, my goal. Plus, I know people from other parts of the world uh, that may not be able to access them. Um, literature like we can here uh, in America, uh, Lord willing can have access to that the 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 book the highest book <laughs> is the word of God mm-hmm. get a good translation of the word uh, I found in my research that there was about 100 translations of the French Bible in between 1800 and 1900, 100 almost one a year mm-hmm. um, I believe in that case, and I'm trying not to be uh, um, uh, derogatory or negative, uh, unduly negative, I believe that the French Geneva had such a strong impact with such a powerfully good translation. Coming off the pen of Calvin and Beza and and uh, uh, others that, that really did a good job translating uh, Calvin's uh, uh, cousin, Olivetan. Uh, anyway, was having such a powerful impact that those who do not like the Word of God or who are maybe less inclined to the translations of Calvin and Beza um, were pumping out numbers and numbers and numbers of translations until until some of them would stick, <clears throat> and um, and I think that's we're living in that now in the English in English speaking world in the English speaking world the. King James world for many, many, many years, and <clears throat> and then it was and, and lately now there's been a proliferation of modern resources. We've had, I think, uh, some. Um, I want to get off on this too much, but we've had some uh, some shift in our thinking as to translation. So, I think get a good translation of the Bible. And it is your primary source for knowledge of evangelism. Um, in every way, shape, and form. In fact, not only is it the source, it's the standard, and it's a judge of all other sources. Mm. So there is no other source that can match with the Word of God. Everything is judged by the Word, mm-hmm. and so so that that's the highest source. Um, books like Spurgeon's of uh, the Soul Winner is phenomenal, f- especially for preachers of the Word. It's very it's very oriented toward public preaching and and uh, in a, as a pastor. And so, if you're not a, a public preacher, um, you may find it less uh, less helpful for you. Um, in in which case, there's good books on personal evangelism that that can be uh, that can be read. Uh, other than books I've put, I actually haven't put out very many practical resources. I'm so much so involved in the Word of God. I the book I read the book I wrote consumed is, again, trying to get back to verbs in the Word of God mm. that guide us in our practice of evangelism. Being born in France and being aware of many ways of doing church, many ways of doing ministry, and also how cultural and contextual some of those are. I've, um, I've, uh, I've shunned uh, forcing people to use particular methodologies other than the Roman road. Which there's actually various views of the Roman road too, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so once again, once again, we go back uh, to the Word of God. There are some, there are some good practical um, uh, books on evangelism, and I, and I, I recommend, I recommend to you, <laughs> even though I'm not giving you any names right now. Um, I don't have a bibliography in front of me here mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. of particular. That is Jesus. fine. That is fine. Maybe we'll we'll link some. <laughs> I, I know of Tell the Truth is one that I read yes. I read in seminary Chris that was Lister. very good. Yep. Yep. That was a very a very good book and insightful on that. So we'll put a link to that one as well as Praise a link God. to your website where they can find your resources and your studies and the word of God. The the final question is really in the open Ended question for you. What are some final words of encouragement you'd like to give our listeners, particularly in, in the venue of evangelism?
1: Excellent question. Thank you, Jimmy. The
0: the more you
1: grow and fall in love with Jesus, the more you'll fall in love with what he wants you to do. And so I would just say fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with his words. As you do, you'll fall in love with what he wants you to do, and you'll be guided by him. And and that's my final my final word is fall in love with Jesus. Keep falling in love with him. Spend time with him. Make him the most important thing in your life. Love him above everything else. And and he will help you. He will help everything else fall into place. In your life, including evangelism. He will do that. He's faithful. He's worthy of it all. So that's my final encouragement. Thank you, my brother, Jimmy.
0: Thank you, Dr. Johnston, for coming on to the Covenant podcast with us and and discussing evangelism. Check out our sponsors at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. They have recently been accredited, so so check them out at cbtseminary.org. And again, we just thank you for coming on and and sharing all this with us, Dr. Johnson.
1: You're welcome, Jimmy. It's a great privilege and honor. Thank you for all that you do.
0: Thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like The Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.